Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self. Can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head. But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self hatred for a chance at belief? Hey there, everyone. You are listening to episode 16 of the Lovable Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about mess, messy life, messy us. Um, the problem is mess is a word that we need to take back. Uh, we think of mess as a bad thing, as a negative thing, but the reality is mess is a normal thing. Our lives are messy. We are messy people. And so we're going to talk about how we all waste a lot of time trying to hide that and how we can do some practical things to truly embrace it. Real quickly, though, before we do that, a reminder that these podcasts are being recorded every Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock Central Time or Chicago Time on Facebook Live. So if you want to join us, go to my Facebook page at that time, Dr. Kelly Flanagan, and uh, and join join in. Um, we've been having about 30 to 40 people listening at any given moment with about a dozen or so people engaged, and it's making for a great discussion. Uh, so whether you want, not you just want to listen or contribute or whatever, feel free to, to join us. Um, speaking of speaking... Uh, I want to let people know that um, three times this month, I'm going to be speaking in Geneva, Illinois. So if you're a Chicagoland mom and you want to come out and hear me talk about marriage and belonging and have a discussion about that and a chance to, to meet each other, would love to have you join us. It's at Chapel Street Church in Geneva, Illinois. Uh, I'm going to be speaking on February 1st, 8th, and 15th at 9.15 a.m. each of those mornings. You can go to the to Chapel Street Church's website to register for that event, and would love to have you join us. Um, if you speaking of joining us, if you have not already joined uh, my email list to get my once a week newsletter, you can do that by going to drkellyflanagan.com. It's drkellyflanagan.com. Sign up in the right sidebar. You'll get my one weekly email, free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto, and a free sample of Lovable. Uh, we'd love to have you join us. And, uh, and then remember, this podcast is meant to cultivate and deepen the experiences that will already be happening within you as you read Lovable. So if you still need to pick up a copy of Lovable, you can go to lovablethebook.com. That's lovablethebook.com to find out all about it. It's available in paperback, digital, and audio, wherever books are sold. So you know, go to your favorite place to pick up a copy of it. Um, okay, let's talk now about the difference between messiness about which we are ashamed and messiness that we can truly embrace and live into. Let's talk about the freedom that happens when we find that. Thanks, as always, for listening in. Hello, Facebook Live. I am so grateful to be here with you again. This week, we're recording the 16th episode of the Lovable Podcast, which means we'll be digging into week 15 of Lovable's companion book, which is entitled, The Mess Will Set You Free! Exclamation point. In recent weeks, we've been focusing on some pretty heavy stuff, moving toward our pain, through our shame, listening intently for the voice of grace amongst all the other quirks we hide and the mistakes we regret. And, uh, and this week we're going to change things up a little bit. We're going to have a little bit of fun. This week we're going to celebrate mess 
and we're gonna practice being messy because being at peace with our mess is exactly what happens when the voice of grace becomes a regular presence in our lives. Before we get into this week's content though, our conversations about your experiences of shame and grace and listening for a better voice within us have been so edifying to me and to many, many listeners. So let's pause once again to chat a little bit about how you all are doing and what you're experiencing so far in this year of listening, loving, and living. And while you're thinking about what you wanna share, um, I thought I'll, I'll share with you my, my memory of the very first time that I acted as if my mistakes did not define me as unworthy. Um, so it was probably six, seven years ago maybe. I remember distinctly it was an early morning and I was in the kitchen uh, and I'd woken up in just this horrible grumpy mood. Didn't know why. I was sort of being gruff with the kids and snippy with my wife and uh, you know at some level I sort of knew that I was doing that but I was sort of trying to ignore that level too and just didn't just too grumpy to even deal with figuring out what was going on. And finally my wife snaps at me and she looks at me and she says why are you being such a jerk? <laughs> now it's not the recommended way I'd suggest people <laughs> address a, a spouse that is uh, is acting that way. Um, but I call her my spark plug for a reason. I've always appreciated her, her directness. And she said, why are you being such a jerk? And, and, it, it, and instantly, uh, I, my response was, I don't know, I'm sorry. Instead of, well, I'm being a jerk because, or uh, you know, you did this, or I'm not being a jerk pretending that I wasn't. It was just, yeah, I don't really like how I'm acting. I'm worthy even though I'm making a mistake of this morning and now I can sort of own up. And just that moment of saying, yeah, I own it uh, and I'm sorry, actually shifted my mood, <laughs> ironically. Um, and so to me, an example of that, I think that that happened shortly after um, I was in a, in a therapy session and I may have shared this here before, but I, I was trying uh, so hard to figure out just the perfect way to say something to somebody. And my therapist stopped me and he said, Kelly, why are you trying to get it just right? And I said, well, I just don't want to, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to make any mistake that could cause them to be upset or to, to be angry at me. And he said, you know, I think mistakes are the reason that God made the words, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I was like, it just it, the way he said it and the moment he said it, it was like, oh yeah, like, I can make mistakes and I can apologize for them and there's nothing nothing wrong with that. That's the way things work. So that that's what came to mind for me last week as I was thinking about mistakes that I've made, ways that I try to, um, to not defend them anymore, not be ashamed of them, but just own up to them. Um, still work in progress in that regard for sure. And then today we're going to transition into just embracing this idea of being messy. Um, of which our mistakes are a part. So, um, but before we transition to that, I'm going to scroll back and I want to hear some of your thoughts and comments. Sarah asks, what would be a better way to say what she said? I tend to do that to my husband. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, as a marital therapist, if I went straight technical, you know, um, the, the focus usually ideally is on um, being vulnerable, right? So my wife could say, you know, the way you're acting this morning doesn't make me feel very good. What's going on? Um, and so it focuses on her own vulnerability, which tends to invite vulnerability, right? When we act from our true self, it invites someone else to act from their true self. It doesn't guarantee it, um, but it increases the odds. Whereas when we act from our protective false self, when we act more aggressive, defensive, 
arrogant, um, invites that same kind of response from others. That's why we see conflict escalating in relationships so regularly. Um, you know, I, I write this in the second part of, in, in the belonging part of lovable. It takes two egos to tango, right? Um, if just one person can slip into that place of authenticity and vulnerability, it dramatically increases the chances that the interaction overall stays in that place. So, you know, I'm, I, I'm not, again, um, one of the things I've appreciated about my wife is that her style is, uh, um, you don't have to wonder what she's, what she's thinking. And that's the thing I value the most about her. So, um, but if you're going for textbook perfect, that's, that's the way. Express the vulnerability. Julie writes, a coworker and I had a code. If one of us was upset or our conversation was going bad in a bad direction, we would acknowledge it and then ask each other if we had heard any good jokes lately. <laughs> um, I love that, Julie. Uh, to actually have an agreement um, and uh, a way of, in the relationship, an established way of, of signaling, this isn't going the right direction, are probably, probably, our defensive protective egos are slowly getting hooked in to this escalating interaction. And how can we how can we say that we want to we want to live from our true self? We want to be authentic and connected and not defensive. And so we have this code that sort of uh, and this this practice that that disrupts that escalation. That's fantastic. Julie writes, and we did tell jokes. It diverted a lot of shared unproductive resentment. That is awesome. I love it. Humor. And this is where we're going to go today. Humor uh, has a way of re-engaging us with our true self. And we've talked about this in previous episodes, that our true self is playful, it's humorous, it's joyful, it's lighthearted, um, and that a joke has a way, um, especially agreed upon um, pattern of telling jokes, has a way of reconnecting us with our true self in that way. Um, and so one of the things we're going to be talking about today, later in this episode, is this idea that um, actually giving our surrendering to mess, giving ourselves over to mess, not thinking of it as a bad thing, but thinking about it as a playful thing, can actually uh, reconnect us with our true self. And that the voice of grace is, is sort of constantly whispering, hey, it's okay to be messy, um, maybe even be playful in that. Uh, so I, I appreciate that example as a, a, a way of reconnecting two people with their true self and, and therefore their, their capacity to be authentic. Kate writes, if we can go into a relationship with anyone, even ourselves, with the knowing and perspective that, we, that our needs are okay, then maybe we can meet it in a more patient and beautiful way. Yeah. Um, boy, I think out of all the things that that brings up for me, um, the thing that, it, that speaks most to what we're about to get into today is that not only are we messy, but the people we love are messy and their needs are messy, and their wants are messy. And uh, it is exceedingly difficult to give grace to other people in their mess if we haven't learned how to do that for the mess within ourselves, right? If our inner world is sort of geared towards, uh, well, this mess is unacceptable and I'm constantly trying to clean it up, and he or she isn't doing as good a job at me as cleaning up their mess, they're, more, they're messier than me, um, that creates a real tension in relationship. But if we can, can begin to embrace it, I'm messy, you're messy, and now we sort of have to figure out this mess together, um, again, here we are back at, at authenticity and true self. So um, yeah, I appreciate that, that's, that the grace inherent in what you're saying there.
Heather writes, so I came face to face with one of my mistakes this last weekend. I didn't handle it well and still haven't really dealt with it. Eventually I'll get there. Um, yeah, Heather, and I, thank you. Um, thank you for saying um, that this process of redeeming our mistakes, even once we've recognized them, doesn't have to happen overnight, right? Um, but we also don't want to bury them away. Shame just buries them away and says we don't want to think about them. And, uh, and what you're saying is I've got to work through how I want to deal with that. Um, and, and I admire that about you, uh, your willingness to acknowledge that. It's an uncomfortable place to sit, um, and it takes a lot of courage to do that. So uh, my encouragement to, to you and to everyone out there is to, as much as possible, um, let that mistake exist within you and in the presence of grace. Um, asking the voice of grace within you, what do you have to say about this mistake? Um, how could I, how could I address this? How could I redeem this? And, uh, and and hear what the voice of grace has to say. Sarah writes, I personally have been on a journey of self-acceptance, learning how to not be so hard on myself, not compare myself to others, and changing the narrative, my inner inner voice. Um, Sarah, you're in the right spot. <laughs> that is the journey we, by, by being here, I think all of us are sort of acknowledging that that's the journey that we are on. Um, these months of listening um, are specifically focused on moving us from a place of self-rejection, which is what the voice of shame within us is all about, you're not good enough, to a place of self-acceptance, which is what the voice of grace is all about, um, which is, is uh, letting us know that we're beautiful and beloved even in the midst of all the mess. Um, and that once we can begin to truly embrace that, then we can begin to take that sense of worthiness into our relationships and our relationships can be a place where instead of trying to get a sense of worthiness from them, we can express our sense of worthiness in them. And, uh, and that's what we'll be transitioning to here in the next month, actually. We'll be transitioning into those months of loving and focusing on building belonging by showing up in a true and authentic way in our relationships. So you're in the right space and uh, I'm glad that you're here. Sarah writes, reminding myself my path doesn't have a timeline that has to match up with anyone else's. I used to be very hard on myself when I made mistakes and felt they directly affected my... And I can't read the rest of what you said, but that's a gem, Sarah. Um, yes, that, that your path is your own. Um, it doesn't need to be compared to anybody else's timeline, that you, you're you doing your own thing. Um, and uh, so so important. I, you know, I work with a lot of young people and especially in that age range of early 20s, there's a lot of comparison going on. Well, so-and-so already has that job, you know, and so-and-so graduated this quickly. And um, and we have to be able to embrace that our path is our path, and, uh, and, and it's the only path we have to walk. So um, you are on exactly on the right track by trying to remind yourself of that, Sarah. Deb W. writes, welcome, Sarah. You are in good company. Yeah, exactly. And Leslie writes, Sarah, you're not alone. Um, in... I think not my next blog post, but in two blog posts, um, there's a line in it that says, um, I think it was Roosevelt said, "There's you know, the only thing to fear is fear itself. And um, I, I sort of tweak it to say the only thing to fear is fearing alone. You know, that fear itself, the making mistakes and messing up, um, actually, when you know you're not alone in making mistakes and messing up, isn't terribly isn't terribly scary, isn't terribly shaming. It's our sense that we are alone in that. Um, that can be so so burdensome and uh, and I hope just by being here and having all of us talking about this you know Sarah uh, along with everyone else who's reassured you of this that you are not alone in it Julia writes I keep reminding myself you are beautiful and beloved and have found myself now saying that to others 
Oh, Julie, to me, if, if the one thing that comes out of these months of listening is that you are beautiful and beloved has become a way of experiencing oneself um, and then now beginning to experience others and communicating that to others, that's, that's, all, that's all you can ask. That comment makes me think of um, from the daily devotional that I've been reading of Henry Nouwens, um, January 29th, uh, so I guess it was two days ago. It is titled, Become the Beloved. As long as being the beloved is little more than a beautiful thought or a lofty idea that hangs above my life to keep me from becoming depressed, nothing really changes. What is required is to become the beloved in the common places of my daily existence, and bit by bit to close the gap that exists between what I know myself to be and the countless realities of everyday life. Becoming the beloved is pulling the truth revealed to me from above down into the ordinariness of what I am thinking of, talking about, and doing from hour to hour. I feel like, Julie, by, by repeating that refrain to yourself and others, you're doing that. You're pulling, you're pulling that reality down. And I think the only thing I'd tweak in, in that um, passage is um, the reality revealed to me from within, right? Um, that as we listen for the voice of grace within us, we can become acquainted with that reality about who we are too. We are the beloved. Anne writes, to truly embrace being beloved, then you espouse it in interactions to others. Beautiful. I think that is the natural progression, Anne, is that once we have been embraced as beloved, once we embrace ourselves as beloved, um, there's a natural overflow that happens. Grace overflows. It's abundant, it's endless, and it begins to overflow towards other people. And so we want to embrace other people in that way as well. Brenda writes, I caught myself rating and inflating the effects of my mistakes. Then I stopped that and chose to pick one thing I could fix, even if that was just dinner. <laughs> oh, that's great. So yeah, we made this list of mistakes and sort of trying to rank them into which is the worst mistake and which is the best. And Brenda, you found that it was most effective just to pick one mistake and focus on that. And, and I think that really should be the, the, um, the focus of last week. Just pick one. Just pick one mistake and, and focus on that and what you might want to do about that. Shannon writes, I recently learned a lot about being a kid and giving grace to others. I find I have no problem owning my errors. I am still surprised and was, and was this week when another woman took a small error I made and was cruel, gossiped. I know we can't control others, but can we be kinder and hope others will be? Uh, yeah, Shannon, that is exactly where we want to focus. We want to focus on bringing authenticity and vulnerability and acting from our true self, inviting others to do the same. Um, but but you know, vulnerability isn't vulnerability without risk. If we knew somebody else was going to respond in kind, it actually doesn't feel vulnerable. Vulnerability requires that risk that they may not respond in kind, that they may respond from their ego and be more aggressive, cruel, as you said. Um, but we want to keep trying to do that. And, and, but frankly, we have to also be wise about that. Um, you have to say, well, I've made myself vulnerable with you half a dozen times and it's just hurt every time. And uh, so I've invited you a lot and you're not showing up to the party. I think I'm going to go send some other invitations. That's where I'm going to spend my emotional energy is trying to find somebody who can be more receptive to my authenticity. So I think that's really important too. We want to be wise about where we are investing our time and energy in that way. And maybe, maybe it would be a good segue into this week's reading to, talk a, to share with you an article that I came across this past, uh, this past weekend. I think it was from the Washington Post. Um, and it was really a long, in-depth article about mommy blogging um, and how it sort of um, it it arose in the early 2000s 
and peaked somewhere maybe, you know, three, four years ago, five years ago. Um, and how mommy blogging has shifted over the last 15 years that mommy blogging at the beginning was a way for moms in written word to be very vulnerable and authentic about the messiness of being a mom, um, about the difficulties of it and the frustrations of it and the, the good things about it too, but just really the mess of it. And that as social media has shifted away from blogging over the last uh, five years or so, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of um, there's not a whole lot of space in social media for that kind of content. So moms who are, um, are are engaged in social media around parenting and being a mom are much more likely, for instance, to have an Instagram page um, where they show a picture um, and. Um, usually oftentimes that picture, oftentimes they get, they're getting paid <laughs> to share that picture that has a product in it or they're promoting a product. And so mom's engagement in social media has gradually shifted from vulnerability about the mess uh, and the, nor the normality of being a mess as a parent to um, much more sort of orchestrated photos where everything looks perfect and you're talking about how great a product is and that kind of thing. So that social media um, has become a place even where um, where our mess has been pushed to the margins, been pushed to the side, and increasingly when you go to social media, if you're a mom, you feel deficient because it looks like everyone else has it together. Whereas 10 years ago, you could go to social media and read a 1,500-word blog post about the difficulties of the morning. And, uh, and so what we want to do a little bit today is we want to reclaim mess. Um, we want to say that mess is normal, that we're all experiencing it, um, and that even embracing it might be a part of embracing our, our true self and our worthiness. So we're going to focus on that today. Brenda writes, has vlogging become the new mode of being real? Um, yeah, it's, it's, a good, it's a really good point, Brenda, um, that um, I think it was even mentioned in the article that a lot of um, people who are mommy blogging are now mommy podcasting, for instance, or mommy vlogging on YouTube, that that's, that's where things are starting to shift um, to, in that direction because it's a medium that can handle our mess. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm glad that that's happening. Uh, Sarah writes, I don't have kids myself, but I see how my friends are so overwhelmed with the idea of being enough. I tell them to get off the internet. I see they're healthy, happy, polite kids and have no idea why they think they aren't good moms. Mm. The internet hides what we don't want others to see and only shows a snapshot. Yeah, I think, Sarah, that's the increasingly, I mean, we're now, and I've said this before, we're getting data on what social media use does um, to our mental health. And increasingly, we see kids depressed and anxious. We see adults depressed. Um, one of the thing that, things that affects that, though, is that if you actively use social media to be honest about yourself, um, it doesn't have as negative effect. If you're, if you're only sort of lurking in social media, looking at the sort of perfected images that everyone else is putting up, that really has a negative effect on our mental health and our emotional well-being. So, um, so we do want to be careful of that. And, uh, and so again, uh, we, need, we, we need to create spaces where mess is acknowledged and embraced. All right, so thanks again for just another fantastic, graceful discussion. I feel like we could keep going and that one of the challenges of this podcast going throughout this next year will be that our, our conversations are going to become more and more robust and, um, and one of the challenges will be figuring out how to, um, how to uh, 
uh, honor them in the, in the space of, uh, you know, a less than an hour long episode. So, um, thanks again, everybody. And, uh, so for four, I think 14 weeks now prior to this one, I've uh, transitioned into the weekly reading with a, an excerpt from lovable. And this week I couldn't really find an excerpt about mess that I thought was a good parallel. Uh, so we're going to like honor the spirit of the week and break from our normal structure here. And I'm just going to get right into this week's, uh, this week's reading, which is entitled the mess will set you free. The man was sifting through the debris of our summer yard sale when I introduced myself. He told me he was a Ukrainian immigrant and his family had been in the U.S. for several years. I asked him if he was happy here. His answer surprised me. My children want to return to the Ukraine because there is no freedom here in the United States. In the Ukraine, you can have a beer and walk across a field and no one stops you. No one tells you it's not your field. In the U.S., you can't do that. Everything is controlled. There is no freedom. No freedom in the land of liberty? To be honest, his sentiments went in one ear and out the other, until two days later when an old friend was visiting. She had returned to the United States for a brief sabbatical from her work as a missionary in Guatemala. Having settled into the habits of Central America, she parked on the wrong side of the street because it was more convenient. Within minutes, two police squad cars were at our curb and officers were knocking on our door. That doesn't happen in Guatemala, or the Ukraine, apparently. It made me wonder. Could the cost of our pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness be an over-controlled land and a subtle loss of freedom? And if this is true of our land, might it also be true of our hearts? Might the good life be costing us our emotional freedom, too? I think the answer to that question begins and ends with our shame. Life is chaotic, and every mistake and problem and hardship rings out like a gavel, another verdict against our worthiness. We feel fundamentally lacking at our core, and we run from it. Indeed, we seek the opposite of it. For centuries, cultures have considered the opposite of shame to be honor. In these days, we consider the opposite of shame to be found in possessions, power, and prestige. But the opposite of shame is actually none of these. The opposite of shame is mess. The opposite of shame is the mess of life and the mess of ourselves embraced with a radical self-acceptance and the grace of belovedness. The healing of our shame begins when our hearts stop beating to the self-loathing cadence of, I am a hideous mess and begin singing to the redemptive rhythm of I am a glorious mess. My son Aiden, who we sometimes refer to as the absent-minded professor, is often so preoccupied with what's going on in his head that what's going on in his life gets a little messy. Just after I talked to the Ukrainian man and my Guatemalan friend, Aiden walked out of his bedroom one morning ready for school. Sort of. He presented himself in the kitchen and looked down at himself. One foot was bare and the other had two socks on it. He looked up at us, a wry smile on his face, and shaking his head, turned back toward the bedroom, saying, My brain, it sure is silly sometimes. My heart cracked at the absolute shamelessness in his voice, a little boy with a knowing smile absolutely embracing his messy self, lopsided socks and all. When we try to control and order and perfect everything, we may successfully hide our shame for a while, but we are also creating a delusion, because real life is messy. It's chaotic and tumultuous and uncertain and unpredictable and broken and ultimately fatal. And yet it is also utterly beautiful. Not despite the mess, but because of the mess. And you are too. You are the opposite of perfect. You're a perfect mess. Quirks and failures and insecurities and triumphs and blissful moments and all. The whole glorious mess of you. Does this mean we accept everything and never change anything about ourselves? Do we just walk through the world with two socks on one foot? Absolutely not. But it does mean that the sometimes hard and painful process of transformation can also be a joyful journey because our lives no longer depend upon it. 
because it's all icing on the cake and we get to redeem it all with a wry smile, like a nine-year-old shameless little boy. The Ukrainian immigrant at my summer yard sale, the Guatemalan missionary in my kitchen, and my two-sock son changed the way I think about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They helped me realize life is messy. Liberty is the freedom to embrace this fundamental reality. And happiness? Well, happiness is doing so shamelessly. And people who have embraced the mess, shameless people, start a lot of trouble in this world. They can't be controlled or dominated by the threat and fear of rejection and humiliation, so they are absolutely free to love gracefully and to live fully with a reckless abandon. This makes the shameless people the true revolutionaries. Do you want to join the freedom of a glorious, messy revolution? So that's the reading for this week, and as always, I would love to hear your reactions to it. Um, Do you have trouble embracing that you can be messy? Why? Um, What do you associate with the idea of mess? Um, On the other hand, have you embraced that ultimately we're all a little messy, and and how has that freed you up to live more fully? I'd love to hear hear your reactions. Um, While you're thinking more about that, uh, I thought I'd share a little bit more about the origins of this post, and I touched on it last week, because uh, it wasn't just the, the Ukrainian man and my Guatemalan um, friend and, and my son. Prior to write, just prior to writing this post, I had gone, I was, it was fall of 2012, and uh, I had just begun blogging and just begun sort of embracing my identity as a creative. And so I went to this conference that was sort of, um, the slogan was fuel for the creative class. And I thought I was going to go there and I thought I was going to get all these great tips about how to be creative and, you know, sort of a, a structure or process that people went through for cultivating creativity. And the one thing I came away from the conference with um, was that the the thing that separated creatives from other people was that creatives were okay with the messy process of creating. That creating things, that creating beauty is messy, and they had sort of fully embraced that. That they were messy people, that creation was messy. And uh, it just started to hit me how much I had been spending my life uh, trying to order it and control it and make everything uh, look just right, when in fact... Uh, if I wanted to do the thing I love the most, which was create, I was going to have to embrace messiness. And so that sort of launched me for uh, during that time on a journey of embracing uh, my messiness and the messiness of life and the messiness of creation. And um, I guess it was probably early the next summer, shortly after that, um, we uh, we were sitting at the dinner table one night and, and this idea of embracing the mess had sort of hit me. And... Uh, um, I, one of my pet peeves in summertime is buying a whole watermelon and always throwing away half of it. Um, and so we'd, we were sort of eating half of a watermelon, the other half was sitting there. And I said, hey, what if we took this upstairs and just threw it out the, the upstairs bedroom window onto the driveway and recorded it smashing? Um, what if we just made a mess? What if we embraced it? And, uh, and we did that and it was an absolute blast. And it actually became a summer ritual for a number of years. Um, to the point, I think the last time we tossed the watermelon out of the upstairs window, there was probably... I don't know, 30, 40 neighbors attending the, the watermelon toss. So um, just as we go through this this week's uh, reading and practice, we're going to be talking more and more about how can you intentionally embrace the mess of being alive and of being yourself and have some fun with it, actually, um, rather than taking it so seriously. Sarah writes, I am a glorious mess, exclamation point, exclamation point. The biggest transition point for me, um, probably, 
was to be able to shift from, boy, my messes are shameful to my messes are glorious. They, I, we don't have to hide them. We are all in the middle of our mess and we could be honest about it and connect about it. Um, such a huge transition. You are indeed a glorious mess, Sarah. Julie writes, glorious mess, ha, love this, bring it on. Yes, so this week we are going to be making some glorious messes with our gloriously messy selves. Brenda writes, I am a blank, add your adjective, mess. Theme is probably in your next book. Reminds me of Mad Libs games. Right, yeah, like for me, the word glorious came out. Uh, captured this idea of shifting from a hideous mess to a glorious mess. But anyway, and that might be a fun, actually, activity for this week. Um, come up with your adjective. I am a beautiful mess. Um, I am a lovely mess. I am a hot mess. Um, that's one of my favorites. I'm a hot mess. It's just basically a way of saying I'm not going to put any sugar coating on it. I'm a total mess. And when someone says that, they're usually doing that with, with, with some air of self-acceptance. So come up with your own adjective. I am a blank mess. Julie writes, your son's comment was adorable. Leaves me thinking of people who have left room for me to laugh at myself who have left room for me to laugh at myself, those who haven't, and how important it is to leave others that space, right? To just be able to laugh at our mess. Um, can you believe I did that? <laughs> um, we need the freedom. We need the freedom to be able to do that, to be able to laugh at our messes and create that space for others. Sarah writes, growing up, my mother used to tell me the, woman in our the women in our family are random with a purpose. Oh, I love that. I love that. Random with a purpose. That gets at the idea of mess, doesn't it, Sarah? Thank you for sharing that. And Sarah writes, sometimes when I do something silly or something that I can't quite make sense of, I attribute it to my random purpose. Yes. Um, Sarah, I think if you don't mind, we'll all borrow it. Uh, we're all random with a purpose. There, There is... Um, far less linearity and control to our lives than we'd like to pretend. Um, and I just love that acknowledgement of it. Thank you. Sarah writes, it doesn't make quite, it doesn't quite make sense, but it gives me a sense of blind acceptance. Like some parts of me just are random, but they all matter. Yeah, exactly. Um, there, my, my approach to therapy has shifted a lot in the last seven or eight years. And one of the ways that it shifted is from what would be considered a more psychodynamic approach to, to therapy, which is really, I mean, you can spend years in therapy trying to make sense of every little detail about who you are and why you ended up a certain way and which part of it's due to experience and which part of it is just who you are. And that, and I still do a de decent amount of that, um, but I don't get bogged down on it, bogged down in it, trying to explain all of it. Um, because what's equally as important, if not more important, is that we can accept where we're at, and that we can accept our story and decide where we want to go moving forward, and that we don't have to understand every detail of that story, um, because sometimes things are just messy. Um, so, Sarah, I appreciate that, uh, that sense that you don't have to, to make sense of it all. Heather writes, Today I am a mess and not embracing it at all, and it's definitely not glorious, but maybe tomorrow I will. Um, Heather, your vulnerability here is always appreciated, and um, that's, I think that's what we're getting at, is that the, the one thing that won't change tomorrow is that you won't be less messy, probably. Um, what can change tomorrow is the way that you relate to that mess. Um, and, and to be able to relate to that mess and say, well, I am still messy, uh, and I'm beautiful and beloved. Um, 
that's that's what we're heading for. So I hope that for for you tomorrow too, um, that that's what happens, and uh, and deciding what adjective you want to put to it. Maybe that's part of part of the work today. Deb W writes, I love that embracing the mess leads to our fullest life. We're not fooling anyone anyway, least of all ourselves. You know, um, one of my favorite uh, anecdotes from Peter Rollins uh, goes like this, and I might have shared it here before. Um, this rich, rich Texas oilman discovers he's got a long-lost cousin, Seamus, over in Ireland. And so he wants to go meet his cousin, so he goes over there, and Seamus is showing him around his sort of humble little property there in Ireland, and the, the rich Texas oilman boasts, uh, well, you should see my property in Texas. I can't even drive my car to the edges of it. And Seamus looks at him and says, eh, my car's broken too. <laughs> and uh, to me, that that gets at where we need to be. <laughs> we need to not be fooled. Um, you know, I probably think it a dozen times a week when I see something or someone presented as having it all together and not having any mess. I think to myself, yeah, my car's broken too. <laughs> and uh, it just sort of undoes all the pretending for me and uh, it gives me permission to say, I'm they're messy somehow. I don't see what it is, but I'm messy too and um, I'll meet them there, you know. So yes, um, let's, not, let's not be trying to fool anyone and let's not be fooled by anybody. Sarah writes, I think laughing at your mess really helps too. Humor is my favorite tool. Sarah, I, I, I really appreciate that idea that laughter and humor is a great way to approach our mess. And I think it's a great transition into this week's practice. So I will go ahead and, and read that practice now. Anne Lamott once wrote, the grace of age is radical self-acceptance. Life is messy and we human creatures are messy. Life isn't about eliminating the mess. It's about embracing the mess. We begin to accept our messy selves. We begin to embrace the beauty of our flawed and broken being by first accepting the chaos of everyday living. This week, let's try to do just that. Let's try to accept the messiness of life, perhaps even embrace it and revel in the beauty of it. To do so, instead of just trying to tolerate mess when it happens, let's create mess. Here are 10 ways to do so. This week, try one. If you can't resist the freedom of it, try a few more. Number one, start a food fight at the dinner table. Number two, get into the longest line at the supermarket intentionally. Number three, declare a week of no picking up. The kids will love you and you'll have more free time and you might just relax into the mess. Number four, declare a month of no yard work. When the leaves fall, throw the kids a rake, let them pile in, worry about it later. Number five, don't go to the grocery store this week. Cook with whatever you have in the house, find ways to make it fun, chocolate syrup on stale cereal, absolutely. Number six, post one Facebook status per day about something messy in your life. Don't ask for comfort, ask for celebration. Number seven, pick a wall in the house for drawing on. The kids will once again love you. Number eight, instead of a tablecloth, use newspaper and no plates. Number nine, let the kids dress themselves for a week, no matter how ridiculous it looks. Intentionally wear mismatched socks to work. Or if you're really a revolutionary, two socks on one foot. Number 10, make no plans for an entire weekend. Live moment to moment. Go to a park if that's the mood or go to a homeless shelter if that's the mood. Let it be messy and unplanned. Try not to turn this into a to-do list because that would turn messiness into an orderly task. Instead of something listed above, try an idea that comes to you in the middle of a messy situation. 
Try not to analyze it or judge it. Just give in to the mess. So that is this week's um, reading. And, uh, you know, there might be things that you've already done in the past where you've just sort of given into the mess and embraced it and sort of had some fun with it. I'd love to hear some of those. Um, and certainly those 10 are not a, a, you know, a comprehensive list. I'd love to, if there's any other ideas that come to mind and then we'll double back next week too. And we'll hear about things that, that came up for you, um, that you tried or thought of in the midst of messy situations. Emily writes, realizing that everyone has their own version of mess was so liberating to me. Now I find joy in accepting other people's mess so they can be themselves with me. That's boy, Emily. I mean, you've just described belonging. Belonging is a place where your mess is accepted, and so it's safe enough to fully show up and fully come out. Um, and, and to trust that everyone is, is sort of in that same dynamic, um, needing to reveal their mess, feel safe with it, so that they can show up. Um, I love that. So good. Wanda writes, I don't feel glorious at all with my mess. The shame is great. I will think about this, though. Wanda, um, and I've said this before, these weeks are ordered in a very intentional order. And I think a, I think a, uh, an activity like this is uh, most rich and powerful um, if you've camped out in those weeks where we talked about listening for the voice of grace and hearing it and camped out there until you've begun to hear that that voice of grace. Because only, only tuning into that voice of grace within can we begin to get a sense that, oh, oh, I'm messy and beautiful and beloved. Um, this, this connotation that goes with mess, the sense that mess is bad, that it needs to be cleaned up all the time, um, that's, none of it's true. That mess is the, a normal part of being human, that mess is, makes me exactly like everybody else in a sense. Um, that, that mess is something that could be shared rather than hidden. Those are the kinds of things that the voice of grace will, will remind you of. And so don't feel, don't feel like you have to rush into something like this. Um, but, uh, but if you can do so, tuned into the voice of grace, I encourage you to do so. Rebecca writes, it's not necessarily using mess, but my mantra of sorts lately has been, and then in French, and I won't butcher it in French, but in English, it's I am enough. And uh, Re Rebecca, I am enough is a mantra that encom encompasses all other realities about ourselves, right? And so what you're saying is even in the midst of my mess, I am enough. Um, and so I think you're getting at exactly what we're getting at here. Cordelia writes, always wanted to have a cake throwing party. Must organize it. The kids will love it. Absolutely. A cake throwing party. And if they can help you make the cakes even better, knowing that they are going to make a mess of them, that would be a blast. Deb F writes, my car is broken too. I'm going to hold on to that one. I love it. Yeah, Deb, that's, that's one I've held on to now for years and it has never failed me. <laughs> Thank you again, everyone. Um, this was truly a messy, beautiful discussion. Such a blast. Uh, we'll stop here this week, and then next week we will pick up the conversation again with week 16 of the Year of Listening, Loving, and Living, which is entitled The Fear and Joy of Removing the Masks We Wear. Until then, remember, you are a mess and lovable. Thanks again for joining us on the Lovable Podcast. Remember, this companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of Lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of Lovable yet, it is available wherever books are sold, and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, 
Sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made from her album Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember, you are lovable. <laughs>